Good morning. How are we doing today? Wasn't that good worship this morning? Good gravy. There's no way for me to screw up. You guys, That was awesome. I was just sitting in the back of the room watching you guys and just so encouraged um, to, to be a part of a church that... Um, man really wants to sing out to God, right? And uh, Pastor Curtis taught us about prayer, I mean, worship last week and did a great job. My name is Matt, and I get the opportunity to be one of your pastors. And today we're going to talk about prayer. And as we prepare to pray, I'm going to ask you to specifically begin to pray about this one thing, okay? Just one thing. So can you hold up the finger one, just one thing? I'm not going to make it too complicated for you. Who is one person that you can invite to come with you Resurrection Sunday? Just one person. Now that you're going to invite here, say, hey, I want you to come and I want you to sit by me. One person, right? Now, if we do that, here's going to be a problem. And we will. We're going to run out of parking spots, right? And so I want to go ahead and get some of you. Now, if you're new here, I'm not talking to you, but if you're like lifers and you like, you like know me and you can make fun of me because you know me that well or whatever, I'm going to start encouraging you guys to start parking across the street at the abandoned shopping mall, Okay. Because spring is upon us. Praise God, glory, hallelujah. He messed with us yesterday morning, right? <laughs> but as we, as, listen, when we go after our one, when we start praying about the one person, right, that God wants us to invite to come with us to hear about the good news of Jesus, specifically on Resurrection Sunday, we want to make sure. So maybe praying about that one person that you can invite. So today we are going to be talking about prayer. And um, the word prayer is uh, used a lot in the scriptures, some 357 times. Did you know that? 357 times from the Old and New Testament, you can find the word pray. But here is to kind of help us think a little bit, a little bit about this, uh, prayer, you could easily insert a phrase every time you see the word pray. So if you were to go open up your Bible software and just Google the word prayer, every time you see that word, you could easily insert the phrase talking with or talking to God. That's what prayer is. Right? God's not a genie in the bottle that you can rub the right way. Right? Christina Aguilera, for those of you who don't know that. Spotify it when you get home. Right? Not right now, please. Right? Some may break out in dancing. Right? Filled with the Spirit. Anyway, so, um, but prayer isn't just asking requests, right? It's talking to or talking with God. Now, your Bible is full of people who talk to God. We go talk, talk about Father Abraham, we talk about Moses, King David, the prophets, Jesus, the disciples. They all prayed. They all talked with God. Now, if you were to do some study on prayer, I think you might come to one of the conclusions that I came to as I was preparing for this message, and it's the big idea today. So there's a lots of things that we could uncover about prayer. Today we're going to talk about personal prayer. Because there's corporate prayer, there's prayer and fasting, there's praying laying hands on. But today I want to talk to you about personal prayer. Personal prayer means how you personally go to God alone and how you personally pray. So we're not talking about where two or three gather in my name. We're not talking about coming together on Sunday morning and holding hands. I'm talking about how you intentionally spend time with God. And when you study the scriptures about personal prayer, I think you could come to the same conclusion I have. The big idea for today is this. Prayer is the primary way... We, you and I, build a relationship with God that is real and personal. Prayer is the primary way. Personal prayer is the primary way that you and I build a relationship with God that is real and personal. Now, I've discovered that if you say the same thing a different way, especially as a father, you can maybe, it'll click. Maybe you keep saying it and the kids don't hear it, or I keep reading or hearing the same thing and I don't understand it, and then somebody comes to my life at a conference or at another meeting and they say the exact same thing a different way, and I'm like, oh, wow, now I get that, right? So let me say the big idea in a different way. Talking to God... 
Talking to God is the primary way we build a relationship with God that is real and personal. Talking with, talking to God, prayer is the primary way. And so today's go, I've got three things that I really want hope to accomplish today when we think about this idea of personal prayer. And it's simply this, today I hope to inspire you to pursue a consistent and intentional prayer life. To pursue, that means to chase after, right? Chase after. Anybody ever been in hot pursuit? Right? Like I think it would really be cool to be in a police chase before I die, right? I just want to see if I can outrun Andy Black back there in the corner, my favorite police officer. I want to give it a go, right? But hot pursuit, I know that's weird. I know it was something about me, right? I just like, man, I think I, think I could do it. I think I could. Anyway, um, I know I can't, but I might. anyway, my wife won't let me. To inspire you to pursue, right? Pursue to chase after a consistent, consistent, I'm going to do it again. How many of you are consistently inconsistent? Yeah, right? And so I want to be consistent as in my pursuit of an intentional prayer life. Like, I'm going to be here on purpose. So today I want to, my goal is to inspire you to chase after a consistent, personal, intentional prayer life. All right? So that's where I'm headed. Let's see if I can help us get there. Now, I'm convinced that if you do this, your relationship with God will dramatically change. Like, I'm convinced if you will, um, I want to move this statement so I can see your pretty face. Um, I know I'm kind of thin and that mic might block you from me. Why are you guys laughing? It kind of hurts my feelings a little bit. Um, I'm convinced, though, that if we will spend, uh, spend personal time with Jesus, your Christian life and how you understand and experience God will drastically increase. It's not about the next great message you hear. It's not just about throwing your hands up and worship. I'm convinced that if the people of New City Church will be in hot pursuit with consistently and intentionally sitting with Jesus, your spiritual life can't help but improve. Right? Meaning, if you just keep throwing down with K-Love, and you keep downloading the next message, but you neglect that personal, intentional time with Jesus, you may be a spiritual person who, has, who needs spiritual highs to feel spiritual. Man, I want to talk to you about spending time with Jesus. So here's the thing. Christians struggle with this experiencing a real and personal relationship. Over and over again, uh, I, as I'm talking to people, they don't understand how somebody can have a real personal relationship with Jesus because we can't see him, right? We, we, we have a hard time identifying. Like you feel like you're praying or you're talking to the ceiling. I've heard that often. I've even said that. I feel like I'm sitting, I feel like I'm just talking to ceiling tiles. And how does it get where we have a real prayer life, right? So... Because sometimes talking about personal prayer, like I'm going to sit down and I'm personally going to talk with God, it seems so other for us, even those of us who do it, sometimes we feel so disconnected. I wanted to start off this morning with just a small portion of talking about something that's very tangible, something that we, a lot of us, not everybody, but most of us understand, and I want to talk about marriage as I prepare us to talk about prayer. Right? Now, if you're in the room and you're not married, I want you to lean in. Don't be checking out on me because one day you may be, right? But I still think that even if you never are married, and that's okay too, that there are principles to what I'm going to share that will help you in just relationships in general, right? But for those of us who are married in the room, if you've ever been married, raise your hand if you've ever struggled in your marriage. We all should have our hands. Jen, why are you raising? We should all have our hands raised, right? We should all have our, our, hand, our hands raised, right? Um, 
So let's kind of get on the, uh, now I'm not a rookie in this any longer, right? There was a time when I was a newlywed, but Jen and I will celebrate the best 15 years of Jen's life next month, right? Or actually in May, in May. And so we're going we're gonna to celebrate our 15-year anniversary. And honestly, we've had a great marriage. I'm not, I'm, there's no joke coming here. Like we've had an awesome relationship. One of the common denominators of our last 15 years is a passionate pursuit of a consistent relationship with Jesus. Just got to know that. Are we perfect? Nope. All right. Uh, I heard a guy say, and I believe this, you should live your life in such a way that nobody wants to make a TV show about you. <laughs> right? And so nobody's begging me and Jen to follow us around with a camera. We are extremely boring. It would be funny because I'm in it, right? But anyway, so. Okay. Now, I'm, so not a, I'm not a rookie when it comes to marriage. But also, um, I've been in ministry for over 20 years, and I've seen a lot of marriage train wrecks. I've seen a lot of marriage train wrecks in 20 years. This position, uh, I get to be a part of some intimate conversations with people who are just falling apart. And so in that, again, I'm talking about prayer, but I'm going to use marriage because we all, a lot of us, even if we're not married, we understand kind of marriage, you know, whatever. I want to give you four common reasons marriages continue to struggle. I'm talking about the ones that don't seem to figure it out, right? Because there's a good chance that you're in the room this morning and you're married, and you love Jesus, and you're in a struggling marriage. Don't raise your hand, right? That you're here this morning, and although you're this close to the person, as my friend Mike Grubbs would say, you're four miles, you feel like you're four miles apart, right? Like you're, you're right next to them, but man, you guys are miles apart. So I want to give you four things that I've observed over some marriage and some, and some pastoring of why marriages continue to struggle, and I'm going to connect it to prayer next, okay? So I'm not, I'm not messing with you, okay? But we understand this. Number one. Four reasons, reasons marriages continue to struggle. Problem number one is someone is being a jerk. Right? right? Someone is being a jerk. Meaning they're just doing things out of spite. Like, you know that leaving your cup there makes her mad, and you do it anyway. Or you know by not touching him or whatever the word is. Or you, just, you, just, you do something or don't do something on purpose out of spite. And we giggle because we've all been there. Right? Come on, right? Level playing field, right? So problem number one in marriage is someone is being a jerk. Here's the solution. Stop being a jerk. <laughs> it's silly, right? But like, I, my, my wife told me this week, she revealed to me a deep hurt that I keep leaving piles of clothes in random places. Well, I didn't know, whatever. So I'm trying to pick up my socks, Right? Because it will show her that I love her. I'm just, not that I'm being... Anyway, okay, so number two. So one, someone's being a jerk. Solution, stop being a jerk. Here's, a, here's so come, the struggle, right? Here, here's another one that where people continue. Problem number two, we fight over money. Reasons marriages continue, continue to struggle is because they continue to fight over money. Here's the solution. Establish a financial plan or a shared financial vision. Vision. There are certain things in your marriage that will not work themselves out. Money is one of them. And you have to be able to sit down and say, what do we make and what do we want to do with it? And agree upon it. And when we agree upon it, now we have a shared vision. We've established a plan. And listen, that may mean that you're both miserable, but you're both miserable together. (laughs) Or you're both not happy with what you got, but you're both not happy about it together. Instead of one person going, woo, I'm having time of my life, and the other person's freaking out because something's not going to get paid. Share it, right? Or you can keep being separate and continue to have problems. The third common reason marriages continue to struggle, number three, 
your children, uh, children. Yeah, right. Amen. Preach. Somebody say preach. Right. Here's the solution. Your children are not the boss. Mommy and daddy are the boss. I had a leader tell me one time, Mike Bickley, the Lake the Bible Church, now it's called Journey Bible. I love Mike Bickley. He gave me a leadership principle that has drastically changed my life as the lead pastor of New City Church. I went into his office one day, and I was complaining about how busy I was. Meetings and this and that. I, just, I wasn't happy with my calendar, and he looked me dead in the eye. And he said, brother, you're the leader. If you don't like it, change it. I didn't work for anybody. Like, I set my calendar. He's like, you're the lead pastor. If you don't like it, change it. Mommies and daddies in the room. Why in the world would you give the leadership positions to people in your home that can't even pay to take you out to dinner? (laughs) Why do we let our kids take the steering wheel of where we're going in life? Listen, daddy and mommy are the boss. And so if you want to run around being crazy people, busy and scheduled and wore out and exhausted, that's fine. Do that. Just stop complaining about it. Because you're the leader. And you get to set the pace and the tone and the rhythms of your family. One day, those little boogers, God willing, are going to move out and find somebody they love more than you. Man, get back in the driver's seat and say, listen, man, we're going to lead this family. Who's the boss? Yeah, right? And if you want your kids to be the boss, that's fine. Honestly, that's fine. You're just not allowed to complain about it. Because you're the leader. If you don't like it, you get to change. Problem number four of continued problems in marriages, right? For those who haven't figured it out, number four is we don't make out enough. What's the solution? Make out more, right? It's not complicated, right? But this is a real problem, man. And it's typically from the guy, not always, but typically from the guy. Hey, we don't make out enough. And she's like, we think we make out more than enough, right? But you got to figure this out. A shared vision. Okay, so... Now, so that's the continued problems. I want to share quickly with you, I don't know if this is going to be on the screen, but four observations of marriages who have had those same struggles and then healed through them. I want to give you quick four observations on marriages that had those same four struggles, but yet are now healthy and are healed and they love each other. Can I give you those four? Okay, you may have to write them down. Number one, they serve each other. They serve each other. We talked about this during our Happy Couples series. Marriage is a race to the back of the line, not the front of the line. How do I serve my wife? And then she gets to say, how do I serve Matt? And if that's our goal, man, what a good marriage you will have. Number two, they tell their money what to do. They tell their money what to do. Why? Because they have a plan. They tell their money what to do. Number three, they lead their children. They lead their kids. Right? So they serve each other, they tell their money what to do, they lead their children, and number finally, they make out. They make out. Or if they don't make out, it's because they both agreed not to make out. It's not one wants to and one doesn't, right? And so there, there's a physical component to this it's an intimacy into a healthy relationship, right? An intimacy in a healthy relationship. Okay, so now I want to take those same observations and I want to go back to prayer. Are you with me? Because how many of you guys understood those four things that I talked about, even if you don't have kids or you don't have money, right? How many of you guys understand those things, right? We get that. So now let's take those same four things and let's apply them to our prayer life. Okay, so here we go. Every Christian has struggled. Amen? This is a fact. However, some Christians continue to struggle. Some Christians, Christians seem to figure it out, yet others don't. Today, there are Christians in the room who love Jesus 
and yet their Christian walk is tough. Notice I'm saying the same exact thing that I said earlier. I'm just taking out marriage talk and I'm inserting spiritual things. You're in the room and you love Jesus, but yet somehow, someway, there are parts of your spiritual life that you feel are missing or neglected and you feel like there are spiritual gaps in your life, right? And you're here, but you have a heart that leans towards the things of God. Now, I've been following Jesus since I was 19 years old. That's when I said yes to Jesus. And I've been paid to be a pastor since I was 23. In my life, I have witnessed a lot of spiritual train wrecks. Not just marriage ones. I've watched spiritual train wrecks. People who at one moment were really hot for Jesus, and the next minute they were cussing his name. What happened, right? Over the years, I have observed four common reasons why Christians continue to struggle. For those who haven't figured it out, for those who uh, haven't found healing in their relationship with Jesus, four common uh, reasons, I'm going to give those to you, Christians continue to struggle. Are you ready for these? Number one, you are being a jerk. You're being a jerk. Like, no, I mean, right? We did a series called Knuckleheads. There, there are times in our life where we are bucking up against the authority of God. And because we're going up and we're bucking that, we're like saying, no, we're fighting it. We're fighting that authority, right? We're struggling. Because I don't, I don't, nobody likes being called a jerk. But let's just be truthful. There are times in my life and, and times in your life where you are a jerk towards the things of the Father. Here's the solution. Stop being a jerk. It's called repentance. Father, my attitude has been bad. I've been upset with you. I agree, although I don't understand. I'm frustrated. You can be frustrated and still repent. And I'm going to align my life with you. Problem number two of Christians who continue to struggle is they don't have enough money. They don't have enough money. Here's the solution. Understand and operate under God's financial plan. Christians who continue to struggle, sometimes they're being a jerk, not always. Sometimes they're frustrated because they don't have, a, they don't have as much as they think they should have. They don't feel like they have as much as they deserve. And so, again, I would say the solution is align your will with the will of the Father. Uh, understand and operate under God's financial plan. Number three. Four common reasons marriages continue to struggle, or, or Christians continue to struggle, rather, is position. Do you remember number three when we talked about marriages? What was number three? Children. You are a child of God. Amen? You are a child of God. And so you need to understand your position. Here is the solution. You're not the boss. God is the boss. And just as we are asking us to, uh, to sit into the driver's seat and lead our children, God says, woohoo, make that spiritual now. Let me drive the car that you're riding in. And some of us, the reason we're struggling in our spiritual life is because you're trying to assume the spiritual leadership of your own life when God is like, listen, that's my job. Right? That is my job. Understand our position. Number four, what is God's will for my life? God, what is your will for my life? God, what is your will for my life? Here's the solution. Make out more. What? Like... This is the intimacy that I'm talking about with God from a personal relationship. When you are in hot pursuit of G- with sitting with Jesus in time of prayer, when you are consistent in pursuing a time with him, when you are intentional about spending time with him, listen, that is the intimacy that you have with the Father. And it is in that intimate moment where you begin to understand who you are, why he put you here, and what he wants you to do in this life. It's not going to come from the book on the shelf at Barnes & Noble. 
Or it's not going to be sent to your door through Amazon.com. It's something that comes from Jesus where he says, this is what I want you to do. And you hear about it when you are passionately meeting with him and saying, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And if you're waiting for the person next to you to give you that answer, I'm not saying they can't help you and can't point you to the direction, but man, your calling, your purpose, the reason why God created you needs to be coming to you from the Father and no one else. I have a friend who's planning a church today, Dan Sutherland, and he will always jokingly say to me, Matt, Jesus loves you and I have a plan for your life. And if not careful, you will find people in your life that really can tell you what you need to do next, and you never ask Jesus what he wants you to do. Sit with the Lord. Okay, here are four common practices of a healthy Christian. People who have figured it out. Here we go. Number one, they serve. Number two, they are generous. Number three, Jesus is their leader. And number four, they have a relationship with God that is real and personal. Every person that I point to and say, that's who I want to be like when I grow up. Every spiritual leader that I say, that's who I want to be like when I grow up. They do those four things. That's what they do. Now, can we go back to prayer? We're going to take those same things. We're going to look at our scripture today. Is a scripture, a comparison of Matthew 6 and Luke 11. In Matthew and in Luke, both writers give us the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, right? But they include other things that surround it. And so I want to give us a small portion of this today. If you will, uh, it's on the screen, but if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to that book. Now, we can go to Matthew, that'd be fine. Matthew 6, or open it up on your phone, Matthew 6, or Luke 11, all right? That's what we're going to study today, because... Um, the same way that you have a healthy marriage, time spent is also true when it comes to your relationship with Jesus. And so here is a tip, as you guys are going to Matthew 6 or Luke 11, both of them are fine. What typically happens in our Christian life is that you and I, people, make poor assumptions, right, that keep us from doing the very thing that will bring about positive change in our life. Like the reason that some of us do not have a greater prayer life is you've already predetermined in your head that that won't work for you. And so you've made a poor assumption based on your own personal experiences about how you think you know you, that you don't do the very thing that Jesus talks about because you've already predetermined that that won't work for you. And because you've already set your feet or set your mind on that thing, you won't do it because that's not going to work for you. And so what I'm going to invite us into now is to hear from the man himself. Let's look at the words that Jesus said and let's see what is he asking me to do. And let's put on pause. Oh, they don't work for me. And let's just say, you know what? I'm going to give the next seven days to doing what Jesus told me to do. So I'm just going to read you this passage. And here, as I'm reading it, if you have your Bible or uh, maybe you can just take some mental notes. I write my Bible with a highlighter or a pen. But like, what do I feel like Jesus is asking me to do based on what he said? So this is going to, I'm going to kind of combine this out of Matthew 6 and Luke 11. Here's what Jesus taught us. He said, whenever you pray, right? So there's an expectation that we pray. He didn't say if you get around to it. Like, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will, will reward you. So first, real quick, where does Jesus ask us to pray? We're talking about p- personal prayer. Where does he ask you to pray? Private. private. Now, you may not have a private room, but it's this idea. Jesus never, we, never, we don't read in Scripture Jesus having a private room that he went to. But he got often, if you can read in the Gospels, he often got alone to an isolated place just to be with the Father. 
And you've got to find that space. It may be you driving and finding an empty parking lot and just sitting there in your car reading your Bible. I remember uh, one of our moms here at New City would uh, go hide in her closet where her kids couldn't find her, right? And sit and read. But just find a... Because if, if the... Let's go back to a relationship real quick. If the only time you spent with the person that you love the most is when kids and people were all around you, how intimate would that relationship be? Sometimes I need to be alone with my wife just to talk to her. Sometimes, and honestly, daily. Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Anything I need to know about, right? Like family meeting, what's going on? Daily. It's the same thing with our relationship with Jesus. And Jesus teaches, hey, when you pray, get away from people. Go to your private room, to the isolated place, and pray to your Father in secret who sees in secret. Okay? Let's continue. Now he says, when you pray... Don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Let's look at that real quick. Verse 8. Don't be like them. Why? Talking about babbling on and on? Because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Why in the world would God ask you to intentionally pray and talk to Him if He already knows what you need? What do you think? Relationship, right? Can we agree to that? It's not about the task. It's not about the needs. It's not about the wants. It's about the relationship. Can we agree to that? I, mean, I, don't, want, I don't want to force that conclusion on you, but do you see that, right? Verse 8, don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. So if you already know it, God, why do you want me to sit with you? Why do you want me to pursue a consistent, intentional time of prayer? Oh, it's because you want relationship with me that's real and personal. We can agree to that. I want you to turn in your Bibles or on your phone app. I'm going to give you space to do this. I want you to go to Matthew 7, 22, and 23. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, 23. I'm going to go there also. And I want to read this to you. Read this with you. If you don't have your Bible, that's fine. Turn to it in your phone. If you don't have a Bible app, download one today. They're everywhere. They're free. You can pay for one, but they're free. 7, 22, and 23. I'm going to back up to 21. Okay? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Jesus says, then I will announce to them, I never what? Does that sound like relationship language to you? He doesn't say, I was never impressed with all your hard work. He doesn't say, well, you could have went to church more. Jesus says the the identifier is that he knows you. He desires a relationship with you that's real and personal. And if you've already right now predetermined in your head that he doesn't want that, or you can never have that, you're believing a lie. Because Jesus says, when you pray, I want you to go to your room, a private place, and I want you to talk to the Father in secret. And the Father who is in secret sees you in secret, and he will reward you. Like, that's where the relationship starts. If the only time you pray is when someone else leads you in a prayer, that's a weak and shallow relationship with the God of the universe. But on the cross... When Jesus gave his life, he ripped all the rules apart and has given each and every future follower the opportunity to come boldly before the throne of God and talk to our Father in heaven. What an opportunity that you and I have 
That all we have to do is create or make the space for it. You are not too busy to spend time with God. Those words are not allowed to ever come out of your mouth. Like there's a word in our family that we're not allowed to say, and that's divorce. That word is not allowed in the Miller family. And in our spiritual family, I don't have time for God is a phrase that you must never utter. Because if that is the truth for you, your calendar is out of whack. And I, know, I say that because I know that's often what people say. I want to, I just don't have time. I, want, I know I need to, but I just don't have time. And let me just bring some reality to that statement. What you say and what I say when we utter those silly words is, God, I know you should be up here, but I'm putting you down to the bottom of the list because there's just other things that are more important than you. Like I gotta get my beard trimmed. Or I gotta practice the I gotta get the kids to. Or I've really got to get this message written. Or I've really got to get the yard raked. Or I've really got right. And we have all of these things that keep us from spending time with a person who owns it all and desperately wants to have a relationship with you that's real and personal. Man, move God to the top of the list. Now, I know the, I know the problem you might find is that when you get into that moment, is that I don't know what to say. But man, Jesus is so thoughtful that he tells us what to say. So if you continue... This is what we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' disciples say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And he doesn't give them a parable. He actually tells them how to pray. He says, when you pray, say this. So if you're like, I don't know how to talk to God, he gave you a script. He gave you a script. And so, listen, all you have to do is read this script. Right, here we go. This is what he says. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay? Now, today, we didn't put these in your bulletin. They're not on your chairs. Today, there are these little pieces of paper, front and back, that are on the tables out of the lobby. They're, they're optional for you to take today. And I want to quickly, I've got just a few little bit of time here. I want to I walk you quickly through one side of it, because the sides are different, all right? And one side, I'm going to title, What Jesus Taught, okay? And on the other side of this card is titled, How Do We Respond? And so I'm not going to teach you how we respond. I'm just going to quickly uh, let you, because it's on here. But here's what Jesus taught. There was one, two, three, four, five statements. We, t- we talk about this in our discipling pathway, brown to green. The Lord's Prayer. And so, and, but this is the card. Like you, can, you can disciple yourself. You can walk yourself through some prayer things this week. You can grow in your time with God this week. I want to give you a tool. So Jesus said this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. And so a question on this card simply says this, What is Jesus asking you to acknowledge? Like when you sit with the Lord and you say that, read that statement, what is Jesus asking you to acknowledge? God is somewhere else. He is holy and set apart. That's what holy means, set apart. And so Jesus is starting off by saying, I want you to acknowledge that God is holy other. Right? You with me? Number two, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the question. What is Jesus asking us to do? What is Jesus asking you to do? How are you bringing the God's kingdom, God's plan to this planet? Right? That's what you seek it, right? Like your kingdom come. Like the way it's going up there, may it be so here. Does anybody notice on the news and whatnot that it's not so much God's kingdom on this planet? Anybody? Right? And so that's why he has the church to bring about his will, his ways in this world. Number three, Jesus says, Give us today our daily bread. Here's a big question Who is Jesus asking you to depend on? 
Is your faith in your 401k? Is your faith in that pension plan? Is your faith in that next paycheck? Now, I know those things, resources are real and we lean on those, but where is all of that stuff coming from? Number four, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. How is Jesus promoting peace and goodwill? How is Jesus promoting peace and goodwill? Or will you continue to refuse to talk to that neighbor because they one time mowed part of your lawn? Been there. All right. Finally, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What position is Jesus teaching us to give to God? What position is Jesus asking us to give? It's implied there that he wants to be our leader. This card is outside, and on the back side, it has the same exact scripture, but with these questions. Are you ready? Do you worship God with this level of respect? Based on what Jesus is asking us to acknowledge about our Father who art in heaven, do you worship God with that level of respect? If not, how do you respond? Question number two, point him to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What areas of your life are lacking kingdom living? I'm not going to come and tell you. Listen to Jesus. What parts of your life are lacking kingdom living? Number three, give us today our daily bread. How are you trusting God with your provisions? How are you trusting God with your provisions? Number four, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Is there anyone you haven't forgiven? Process that, right? And finally, and do not, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Who is leading your life? Jesus will never lead you into, into temptation. You've got to know that. Jesus will never lead you into a place other than righteousness. And so if we will continue to follow the Lord and he continues to be your leader, guess what? You will get there quicker. You will get there quicker.